Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Prosperity by the Pint. I'm your host, Bryce Carter, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, certified investment management analyst, and self-proclaimed millennial money expert. This is the podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. This week's cold beer is from Oddside, Oddside Brewery. Uh, it is a Citra Pale Ale and... It is 5.75% alcohol by volume, brewed and bottled by Outside Ales in Grand Haven, Michigan. My lovely uh, recording artist, uh, Allie, who, who puts all the editing together on the podcast, picked this up for me when she was on over on the west side of Michigan, and so we'll give it a try. Oh, that is, that is lovely. Good job, Allie. Well done. I'm giving her a thumbs up right now. Uh, it is, uh, it's kind of a, it's a citrus pale ale. I mean, it's just a little bit, a little bit of hot, but this is like a, this perfect, a hot summer day beer. And that's what it is here today in Michigan is a hot summer day. So I wanted to talk a little bit about investment biases. Uh, this, this actually idea came to me from, uh, Laura Constable, whose husband Ed Constable is on the show. I post on Facebook. If you don't follow the Prosperity by the Pint Facebook, you should follow it. What's your favorite episode so far? Laura commented Ed Constable's episode, and she is biased. And that triggered a, a thought of mine, which is behavioral biases in investing. Actually, behavioral finance is a little bit of a, a hobby of mine. I, I, if I'm going to read extra uh, than I normally already do on investing, I often will read about behavioral biases because it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, and just because you know more about behavioral biases doesn't mean that you're any better at coaching people against them, but we're going to give it a shot. So what is a bias? These are preconceived notions, uh, undertones in our psychology that cause us to make investment decisions, financial decisions that are not always necessarily, necessarily rational, in particular when you are investing. So I want to go through, there's, there's a, over a dozen different uh, biases, but, but I want to go over some of the more common biases that, that I come across in working with individual clients on their investment portfolio. That was, I feel like that was a long rant there, but uh, so I'm taking it. Maybe it's just an excuse to take another drink of this because it's lovely. So if I'm sitting by the pool, usually I want a light beer, not an IPA, even though an IPA is what I want for dinner. But if it's a hot day, I don't want, a, I don't want an IPA. It's just too heavy and then it's hot outside and it ends up getting a little bitter. I could drink that when it's 95 degrees out all day long. That's a beautiful beer. Citra Pale Ale from Oddside. So first bias I want to talk about is loss aversion. Now, it's not what it sounds like because all of us are, are verts to losses. We do not prefer losses, right? All of us want an investment gain before we want an investment loss. Loss aversion is the bias is that we are all, this has been scientifically proven, we take losses more painfully than we joyfully take gains. So let me word that in another way. Losses are twice as painful as gains are gratifying. So what this ends up leading to is people more vividly remember the years in which they lose money investing in the market than years in which they gain money investing in the market. So for example, so many investors that I talk to talk about 2008 and 2009 or 2007 and the buildup to 2008 because they're confused about what year it actually was. But they very, very vividly remember what their portfolio was at and then what it all the way went down to during that time period. Yet they very rarely talk about 
the preceding years leading up to that, right? The mid 2000s when things were going well and, and their investment portfolio was growing and growing and growing. They remember much more vividly the years in which they lost 30% than the years in which they gained 30%. So that's loss aversion. And it causes us to, to have a risk aversion. Uh, and this bias ends up causing people to invest more conservatively than they probably should. And therefore, it ends up causing you to have a, a slower growth rate than you probably should or would be able to otherwise. So the next one is confirmation bias. And I, I should, guess I should spend a minute on why these biases are important to realize is that each one of these biases causes us to make decisions. And our investment portfolio is a, is a composition of our financial decisions, right? So if these biases are, are real, which we know they're real, they exist, right? We all have inherent biases. If these biases are real and they're causing us to make decisions that then affect affect our financial investment portfolio, we need to be fully conscious of them. And many of these biases really do affect your portfolio in a very negative way. Uh, and I, I've seen it firsthand with clients. I have clients that I, I want to say you could write a book about because they have all of these biases all at once <laughs> conflicting with each other, which creates problems. But all right, so confirmation bias, this is the next one. All right, so think about it this way, and this has been in the news a little bit recently, is on, let's say you take your Google News Feed. Google tracks the news articles that you're, you're clicking on. So let's just say that you are a person that is extremely concerned about uh, climate change and reading articles about clients, climate science and climate change. And so you're, constant, you're clicking on those every time they pop up. Google's going to recognize that you're clicking on those type of articles, and then they're going to show you more of those articles. So the more you're going to read is going to be more of those articles confirming your preconceived beliefs that climate change is a very big problem. I'm not saying that it's not or anything like that. I'm just trying to make a point here is that Google is going to force feed you more information that is confirming your existing beliefs. It's the same reason where we tend to watch news stations that tilt to our political beliefs, whether right-wing shows or left-wing shows or whatever it may be. We have some preconceived beliefs, and if those shows are pandering or talking to those beliefs, we are getting information that just confirms what we already believe. So how does this affect investment behavior? Well, let's just say, for example, that my father worked for Ford, and he believed fully that Ford was a fantastic automaker, and they made better trucks than Chevy and Ram and Toyota and everybody else. And then all of a sudden, I'm driving by the Ford dealership, and I see that the, the showcase is full of people wanting to buy new trucks. And that's going to confirm that, yes, they make great trucks and uh, because it's confirming my existing belief a bunch of people want it. So that's going to confirm my belief that it's a good investment because, therefore, the company has a lot of customers, and my father worked there, and it's a great place. And the, all of these are confirming my belief that, that Ford is a great company to own and buy their stock. So all the information I see confirms my belief. And that's the confirmation bias. But there's contrary information out there, right? So what you what you don't see is that uh, other than the F-150, there's many vehicles that are not super profitable for Ford. They might not be doing as well in other countries as they are in the United States. And although we're a huge global superpower and a huge global economy, there's other economies out there that automakers depend on. Um, there's supply chains that can happen. Semi-recently, it was last year, Ford had a major issue at one of their plants. Um, it was a fire, and the fire caused them to shut down operation. So all of those things ended up causing Ford to have some problems with the profitability of their production, right? 
But I didn't see any of those in my confirmation bias. And I'm not saying me personally. This is a hypothetical, obviously. But confirmation bias is where we're only basically looking at information that confirms our preconceived notions. And that causes us to make bad investing decisions. So familiarity bias, next bias here. Take a beer break for a second. Ah, that's good. Next bias is familiarity bias. So it's very similar to confirmation bias with some little intricacies. So familiarity bias, confirmation bias is, you know, is confirming the information that I already have preconceived notions about. Familiarity bias is when investors tend to tilt their portfolio towards things that they're more familiar with. So this actually takes place in every single country in the world. Investors have an overweight to their own country's stocks. So every single country in the world has an overweight to their own country's stocks. So, for instance, take a country like uh, Canada. Canada is very familiar for all of us Americans, uh, and, but it's stock-wise, their market capitalization of all the publicly traded companies in Canada is relatively small. But you might see a Canadian investor with a 40, 50, 60% of their stocks are invested in Canadian stocks. And we see the same thing in every single country in the world, essentially. They have more stocks of the domestic country companies than anywhere else in the world. So it's a, it's a country bias. Additionally, there's a, a regional bias. So what they found, there's, there's been studies done on this, is that utility companies, 49 of the 50 states that are out there, uh, it was found that investors tend to overweight the utility companies that they own. If they're picking individual stocks, they tend to buy the utility companies that are in their state because they're familiar with them. For instance, here, for me, it's consumer's energy. So I am much more likely to buy consumer's energy stock than, for instance, some, some energy company out of Kentucky that I've never heard of. Even though that may be a better company with better profit margins, et cetera, et cetera, is I'm much more likely to buy those. So familiarity bias is buying things you're familiar with. I'm going to give an example of the opposite, which is, for example, Warren Buffett, one of the best investors of all time. I mean, this guy's performance through the 70s, 80s, and 90s is unparalleled. He made most of his money through buying insurance companies. But what he's been his, uh, almost famously against is investing in technology companies. Because for many, and not all the time, many of the technology companies that are out there, he claims to not fully understand their business, so does not invest in many technology companies. So he's avoided a lot of investments that he does not fully understand because he's not familiar with it intimately. And that honestly has cost him. Now, I'm not going to knock Warren Buffett. The guy knows a lot more than I do. But over the last decade or so, technology was one of the few extraordinary investment performers in the market. So that might have hurt him a little bit. So lack of familiarity bias might be, might be a better term for that scenario. Recency bias. I love, hate this one. This is... Uh, recency bias is when we tend to put emphasis on recent performance and the fact that that we, we then take that and internalize it and believe it's an indication of what's going to happen going forward. So I, it's 2016 and 2017 are good examples. The stock market was up, up, up. 17, it was up, up, up. Start of 18, up, up, up. I started to see clients and investors and even nonprofits that historically have been very, in my history of working with them, very conservative, very tight on cash, not wanting to take very many uh, risks, now wanting to jump into the market. And it's the recency bias. Things are good, so they're going to be good in the future. The same could be said for 
the year building up to 2008, which was, you know, 07, 08, the beginning of 09, were really bad. All investors really saw was red. It was red, red, red. Markets were down. Uh, people were losing their jobs. The economy was bad. And so what that led to was a mass exodus in the markets at the beginning of 2009 because investors were having a hard time seeing green in the future because all they saw in the past was red. So this recency bias of what's happened recently is going to continue in the future causes us to maybe make mistakes like pulling out of the market all the way. And that's what investors did in early 2009. There was, a, there was record numbers of investors leaving the market. Coincidentally or not, I'm not sure, that's when the market turned around and from March of 2009 until essentially today, we've been in a solidly, pretty solidly up market. So finally, when investors couldn't take any more was when it turned around. So recency bias people causes people to jump in and out of the markets based on their perception of what has happened recently is going to continue to happen. And that is a false narrative. Herd mentality. Believe it or not, we're social animals. So these concepts like investing and uh, saving uh, are relatively new. I mean, if you think about it, four, five, six hundred years ago, the vast, vast, vast majority, even developed worlds, were illiterate. So things like buying shares of, of your local uh, utility company was is, is not in our genome. So after all of our years of, of developing as a society, you look at a scenario where now we're, we, we have these fight-or-flight tendencies, right? Because uh, hundreds of years ago, and in some places still today, your main concern is you know putting food on your plate and not getting eaten by lions or uh, alligators or whatever else, right? So we have this fight-or-flight tendency where we, if we feel attacked, we get this adrenaline rush that causes that flight-or-flight initiative. Now we have to understand and sit back and look at complex financial numbers where we're seeing our dollar amounts go up and down drastically, and that could cause a fight-or-flight uh, trigger. We're, we're really social animals. And once one person starts it, it can attend to exasperate itself. So this herd bias where we all like to move together, it, we feel more comfortable doing it if other people are, are, are doing it. Like I, I hear this all the time. Clients ask me, well, how are other people doing our age? And, and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how other people are saving or where they're at that are at, that are at your age. It matters where you are at for your personal financial situation. It does not matter what another 40-year-old couple is doing. It matters where you're at. And to be honest, the media tends to exasperate herd mentality. And this, this ends up leading to recency bias, and they both kick in. So let's take as an example, let's say uh, Netflix stock has been up drastically. Netflix and Amazon over the past decade and even longer than that, these, these stocks have just been absolutely killing it. And the, so the media talks about them all the time. They're, you know, they're only two companies, but they get talked about a lot by all the analysts and everybody. And so there's this perception maybe that because they're talking about it a lot, everybody else is investing in it. So the herd follows. And then there's this recency bias where they've done well recently, so they're going to continue to, right? So all of that ends up kicking in. So the point of talking about these biases is to help you understand that they're there and just and be fully aware of it. I have biases too. I have a Ford truck in my in in, in my garage, and I, I prefer to buy Ford vehicles. But that doesn't mean that I should buy Ford stock because my my confirmation bias is that because I like Ford and other people like Ford that then all of a sudden that's a great investment. So when you look at these kind of scenarios, what you want to do with behavioral biases is first acknowledge that they're there, right? You got to know you, right? And then you got to protect yourself from yourself. So you do that by being a disciplined investor. I tell people this all the time. 
make an investment policy statement, which is nothing more than a set of rules for you to follow. So an investment policy statement says, this is how I'm going to invest going forward. And I'm going to be diversified. I'm going to keep a long-term view. I'm going to keep costs to a minimum. These are fully practical things. Start writing them down. I'm going to be globally diversified. I'm not going to just own U.S. companies. I'm going to have size diversification, which means large, medium, and small companies, not just small companies, not just small, large. I'm going to own things outside of my own industry. Just because you work in tech doesn't mean the only thing you should invest in in tech. In fact, the opposite is probably true. So, understand that your biases exist and then acknowledge them and then make some rules and some discipline about making sure that you don't end up getting screwed by your own, your own, your own psychology, right? It's underwritten there in our biology, but you can work again. You can work with it, right? Work with it or work against it. That's going to wrap up this week's Prosperity by the Pint. Don't forget to subscribe to YouTube, on Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just hit that little follow button, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and be sure to check out the Facebook page, Prosperity by the Pint. Thanks and cheers.